Well, I'm super excited to be chatting with the sound and music team behind Muse's Simulation Theory concert film. I'm really excited to chat with these guys because I think anytime anyone works on a music-centric film, music is kind of the, the focus of you know what the tasks are going to be. And there's maybe some light sound design or maybe some enhancing or just additional support. But in this case, there's like a full feature narrative film going on here, which is uh, the sci-fi paranormal like thing that feeds directly into Muse's insane visuals. So first off, uh, let's introduce the team. We have supervising sound editor and sound designer, Jerry Vasquez our re-recording mixing team of Alex Von Korf and James Parnell. So welcome, you guys. Thanks so much for uh, chatting. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Man. Thanks for having us. So this project came um, was originally filmed at London's O2 Arena in September of 2019. When did you guys find out about it? So I guess I'm the first one to really make contact with the post team. But I got word about it in uh, August, and we started the process the following month. Okay. So at, at that point, how much did they tell you? Because it, was this kind of something that they were doing for every show or was this kind of a special engagement for this, the O2 Arena? Yeah. So this was just uh, two nights of the O2 Arena, basically, that they had cut together. So okay. it was a special experience for just this part of the concert. And so what were some of those early conversations? Um, the film itself, this, this concert film, was um, directed by Lance Drake. Were you interacting with Lance and his team? Like, Who were some of the people you were talking with early on? Yeah, so I got brought onto this by a friend and post producer Julian Connor, and he was part of Frame Forty Eight. He he was they did most of the VFX for Muse's music videos, uh, and then in turn did pretty much all the VFX for the feature film to make it cohesive. Um, and in the film itself, there's a lot of the music video segments that are played within the actual concert. Um, so it just made sense to to mesh it that way. But I got brought on by them, and I met Drake uh, Lance Drake, and we had a spotting session. And basically, he told me that he was trying to do this retro future uh, cyberpunk take on uh, their album, which was kind of influenced by the likes of Ready Player One, um, you know, Blade Runner, that kind of vibe. So yeah, a lot of our discussions were, were creative and how uh, we would weave that between the concert songs. So I, I think something that happens with these concert films, usually, um, you know, there's going to be a stereo mix, there's going to be a surround mix. And in this case, there was also, you know, later on, there was an IMAX um, presentation, you know, that, that they did too. So early on, like, how do you even attack? Like, how does material come in? Are you looking at a line cut of a film? How much of it was already shot? Because there's the live concert stuff. And then there's all this extra narrative of, of all these kind of side stories that are um, interweaving in and out of the live concert. Um, how did you guys start to block out live concert versus these other scenes? Right. So it's my understanding. And when I first received the, the cut of the film, it was already pretty much um, time locked. Okay. They were just adding VFX at that point. But from my early discussions with Lance, they had conceptualized the film as a separate entity. Um, so they basically made this about no more than 25 minutes worth of content uh, that they had scripted. And they only shot it in about two days, less than two days, the whole uh, film. And once that was done, they basically looked at the concert, the band selected the songs that they wanted featured in the concert and kind of tried to weave in these narrative sections that would align with what was happening on stage, that kind of thing. Uh, when we were brought into the sound process, all of those decisions were pretty much already made. It was just enhancing the transitions and the VFX to make it one cohesive thing. What sounds did you already have? What stuff did you have to go out and figure out? Like, it, it seems that there's, um, before like it even introduces the band, just like the tone of the whole thing kind of establishes, obviously, what's going to unfold. 
Right. So it, it opens with that about five minute chunk of narrative before the credits roll in and the concert starts. Um, the non, there was actually no scratch at all. There was no production um, because they were on sort of turnarounds. Um, the actors were actually the dancers that were on stage. Right. Yeah. Uh, so they they had no wires. <laughs> they had nothing, and um, they basically had a rough idea and then fit in everything else with V after the fact. So I was heavily involved with the ADR and recording and kind of piecing together the narrative um, through dialogue after the fact, uh, but everything else was created from scratch. There's obviously a presence of the audience. Like there's great moments when you guys, and I definitely want to talk with you guys about that, how you, the audience comes in and out. It's not always, not a noise floor, but just like a crowd roar, you know? Right. I think you guys did a really good job of establishing the audience when you needed to, but then also kind of the weaving between the narrative. So when did everything kind of come together? How were those music tracks delivered to you and, and what type of sorting and how much, you know, width and, and room did you have with all that stuff? Yeah. Alex, you want to, you want to feel this one? Sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, I got involved in the project uh, a bit later on uh, than both of these guys. I think they were already kind of underway. Uh, uh, James is already well underway mixing, uh, you know, parts of the film and, um, uh, we'd be, I'd be remiss if we, uh, left out, uh, another kind of actor, I guess, in, in, uh, in the mixing realm of, of this thing, which would be Mark Carolyn, who is, uh, Muse's front of house engineer. And, uh, he basically did a, uh, preliminary five, one, uh, mix of, uh, the film. And he was, I mean, since being their front of house guy, he was, uh, you know, Kind of, he's the one that mixed the concert live, you know, to begin with, right? He's mixed all their stuff for uh, for for decades at this point. So, um, basically, uh, uh, once you know he had kind of delivered those, uh, you know, those elements uh, um, over, uh, you know, over to the guys here, uh, I got involved, um, and we uh, kind of basically took, uh, as far as the crowd goes, to answer your your question a little more directly, we. Um, we kind of basically ended up thinking of the crowd as uh, kind of like an instrument, I guess, so to speak, uh, when it comes to, you know, the musical element of it, because, you know, the, the band specifically, they kind of wanted to, they wanted to feel live, right? Like they want an audience to be able to obviously like tell that there's a crowd there, but they also kind of, you know, don't necessarily want like a ton of PA bleed or they don't want, you know, uh, they didn't want all of that kind of happening, uh, you know, alongside uh, every single one of the songs so we kind of targeted um uh, i think five or six tunes that have these big kind of like anthemic sing-along sections and uh um along along uh you know along with james kind of like pulled a lot of the uh, you know the crowd and, and and whatnot into you know into the room into the into the rears of the room as well and in a 5-1 environment in the imax environment uh, for specifically it uh I think it really does kind of make you feel like you're in the crowd in those moments, but then in other moments where, you know, you get like a much more kind of direct um, uh, band sound, so to speak, uh, specifically like to Jerry's point with you know, elements of different music videos being played. And during those moments, you know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily like kind of play, I think, to have, you know, full crowd noise. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're seeing elements of a music video that's been, you know, kind of cut to, to fit the narrative. Um, and uh, it, it, you know what I mean? It, like that kind of interwoven narrative and uh, and concert element, I think, kind of lend lended itself to to kind of do that naturally. You know what I mean, with a, with a crowd anyway. How did you get the two of you, James and Alex? How did you guys divide up the board? What what was like kind of the division of responsibility between the two of you? Um, yeah. So I I think um, <clears throat> uh, 
you know, to start, I think it, it, the division of labor was key. And, and Alex, because he had worked on a bunch of new stuff prior to this, I think it made sense for to have him carry the brunt of the work in terms of the concert mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, my side of the board was mainly the film stuff. So I had score elements. I had all of the score, which was composed by Matt Bellamy. Um, and then I also had all the dialogue, all the ADR that Jerry was talking about, Foley, all of Jerry's amazing sound design and sound effects. Um, so we, just to piggyback on Alex's last comment, I think, you know, how we had mentioned the kind of using the, the audience as a bit of an instrument. I think the <clears throat> playing with that and then also having to dip into the film, it allowed us to, or it helped us anyways, to blend, you know, the narrative sequences of this concert or this film in with the actual, you know, meat and potatoes of the concert, the actual concert experience itself. So sometimes you didn't necessarily feel Although you knew you were in a concert, it allowed us to to blend those, you know, as seamlessly as possible. So when you're in the concert, it could kind of feel a little bit music video-y because you weren't hearing a ton of that gay bleed that Alex mentioned. But then when you were in the, you know, when we needed to ride that audience up, we had it there. So. Mm. Well, actually, where did you guys mix this? Uh, we mixed it at Monkeyland Audio, which is a studio in Glendale, California. When did mixing start for you guys, and how much time did you guys have on the stage then? So I think the the mixing the mixing portion of it, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, started kind of mid February. It was like February 13th, and we went until close to the end of February. There were a couple of days in between there where the stage was dead. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have any mm-hmm. uh, like mix time, but it was basically mid mid February to end of February. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm sorry. COVID's been going on for so long. I highly had to look at my calendar. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Here's the thing is, you know, mixing music is not easy if you don't have that background and especially not easy in the case of something like this. There, there are so many cameras in this and perspective changes. And I think you guys did a really nice job of keeping the perspective um, treating it like as if it was maybe just a stereo mix in terms of the music, but then playing with perspective. So how did, how long did it take for you guys to figure out the flow of like kind of the right sound of, of, of how you treated perspectives? And because there's only three guys. I mean, most of the time it's, you know, guitars and, and bass and drums. Um, and then there's some like, there's some moments where it kind of changes up and, and moves around. But can you kind of describe how how it came about of just determining the right pers- playing perspective? Uh, sure. Yeah. Basically, uh, um, I mean, kind of like like James said, as as he alludes to, like I've been working with uh, Matt Bellamy and and I guess uh, you know Muse at large for uh, for for a little while now. And um, honestly, uh, long 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 before that, you know, when I was a kid, I basically was listening to all these songs. You know what I mean? I'd be playing along, with, uh, you know, the the drum parts in my parents' basement. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the CD players. Yeah, so, like, yeah. I know these songs. Like the back of my hand, I know like you know, when there's going to be, uh, you know, a, a bit of a, you know, a bass moment or a guitar moment or a drum moment, right? Like you said, there's three guys. And um, I, th- I honestly, like I, uh, just from a, a, the music perspective, I tried to, uh, you know, kind of like uh, give everybody like a moment, right? Like when, especially when there's like, you know, backing vocal moments, like Chris, the bassist, he has like a lot of uh, yeah. key backing vocal lines that arguably could be considered, you know, you know, almost like a, a you know, a lead vocal in, in some cases, right? Like in Supermassive Black Hole, like he's the one that's kind of like singing, you know, for the most part, that chorus line live. And, and Matt's kind of, you know, ooing and, and aahing over the top. Um, and then, you know, there's other moments where it's like, you know, clearly like it should be a guitar hero moment, you know what I mean? With with Matt doing his thing. So it's like we have a, 
just the way that I kind of approached it from a, a you know a mixing perspective uh, in the concert was was really just that, like you said, is to kind of uh, give everybody their moment. And um, there was a couple instances where we had some, you know, some kind of panning moves and stuff like that with Matt kind of like moving from one side of the stage to the other. It'd be pretty subtle kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, because you didn't really, uh, uh, I think James kind of uh, definitely reminded me of this a lot to like, you didn't necessarily want those kinds of things to be a point of distraction, right? Like we kind of wanted it to be, to, to all feel kind of like it's living in the same space, but have like a little bit of lateral movement um you know when when people are moving around on stage and then uh you know when it comes to uh you know drums and like you know same kind of thing and you know like a, a close-up shot of dom if he's like you know hitting some floor toms in the beginning of a song like for instance algorithm or something like that when he has uh, you know a couple you know a couple of big drum fill moments or dark side when he's hitting these pads uh you know just boosting things a little bit kind of moving things around and bringing some things into the surrounds at certain points but for the most part it's really just like taking uh, you know, mix cues off of like the, you know, kind of like what's going to happen next, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, in the, uh, both in terms of the, the shots, but also you know, just musically, like kind of giving everybody their moment. Hmm. So how wide did um, Mark, uh, the front house mixer, how, how do they mic the room? And like, what are their considerations? Like how, how many inputs came back to you guys then? Um, I mean, I had pretty wide, uh, pretty detailed stems, actually, of pretty much everything. Um, I, and honestly, the way that I uh, constructed my mix yep. was a little uh, was uh, a little unconventional, I would say, because I <laughs> why why is because, that? Because we uh, uh, you know uh, we because again again it was preliminarily mixed in in five one right like he didn't just yep. deliver you know individual stems or anything like you know this was very much um, kind of like a, a jumping off point right like for for what our the end product ended up being, and um, I ended up kind of treating you know each one of those uh uh you know six tracks of audio right on a five one stem as like their own thing uh a absolute ton of plug-in automation <laughs> like things going on and off all over the place individual rides uh all over the place for everything and i i kind of feel honestly like at the end of it it was it, it was almost akin to kind of having pretty much entire uh uh uh, kind of control over pretty much entirely everything other than, you know, maybe some light backing tracks for the band that were, uh, you know, like just some kind of like vocal sweeteners, uh, you know, backing backing vocal sweeteners specifically. And um, uh, they do have an auxiliary guy that plays with them live. Uh, his name's Morgan. He's kind of like in the back. You can see him in the concert. He's playing a you know, guitar when Matt's mm -hmm. singing or, you know, playing a backup guitar part when Matt's doing a lead. So it's, uh, uh, I feel like we pretty much had kind of our, our, our hands on, on most everything. As far as... Um, what was actually used to, you know, to uh, mic the room, like you said, I honestly, I wouldn't know. That would be a, that would be a, a an email to MC for that one. I'm not sure yeah, yeah. about that. <laughs> no worries. But I should say, I should say, I should say, Michael, that MC had to fly in a couple of stuff, a couple of items for us. That it was amazing, you know, how quickly he was able to kind of turn around oh, and absolutely. get it to us. Like if we needed separation and stuff, uh, it would be a simple email as Alex said to just be like, hey, we need, you know, we need separation in this stem, or we need these these elements you know, in isolation. So, so but, yeah, I mean, yeah. between the two nights, was that just as a, as overlap in terms of having two nights of, I mean, are they, are you, are they selecting between the two basically throughout the show? Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, Jerry, for the most probably, part. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's a, con it's a conglomeration of both nights. Okay. Yeah. But you were saying like when it arrived to you, you already had a line cut, like they've, they, they already kind of decided what, which were the better, you know, takes, right? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I know that Mark had uh, a master session um, and it was very difficult to get certain things because it was just cut together of different stems. And um, I saw the session, it was quite messy, but <laughs> we ended up having to basically bake out individual sections like guitars, keys, drums, as, as specifically as we could, because it was so hard to work in the master session. Yeah. So he had to end up getting all that stuff to us. Did you find that, I mean, were you on your own island basically for a while? Or I mean, how much how much feedback did Lance give you in terms of direction of of these scenes? And then how much like iterations and revisions did you go through with, with them? Yeah, so uh, I I did a lot of back and forth with the team um, from the very first spotting session. We had a quite like we had like about a six hour spotting session the first day uh-huh. just going through uh, each each little nuance. Um, we talked about a lot of references. He references like Flight of the Navigator. Um, a lot of 80s sci-fi, 90s sci-fi movies, um, kind of akin to the whole retro future theme of the movie. Um, but I had like, you know, initially been given this 25 minute uh, section of film to work on, which was the narrative section. And we weren't anticipating to do much outside of that because we were very aware at the start of this process that music had to take uh, the, fr- the top priority. Um, everything we did had to kind of be a background supplementation to the music, including Matt's score. Um, but that being said, we just wanted, I personally wanted to make sure we could get as much detail and kind of cool sci-fi moments as we could in there. So I did a lot of work uh, early on with early VFX, just kind of coming up with a lot of textures for the ambiences, the backgrounds for the stadium, um, the arcade game, yep. and uh, our main character Murphy uh, getting sucked into it. And uh, the, the eventual overtaking of the mainframe by the the infection, which is very on brand with 2020. <laughs> but, <laughs> Did you, I mean, I mean, uh, I was going to ask you for that moment. It's I, I think it's I forget it's maybe about 20 minutes or so in. Yeah. When, when this guy gets infected. But like, did you have any production? Like, did you have anything to work on for any of those scenes? Uh, no, not at all. It was 100 percent ADR, except for. <laughs> yeah, except for the um, the news reporters. Um, so that was a fun challenge because, uh, I got out like at least kind of, uh, in the ADR group process, we brought, um, some group actors in for the ADR session and I got to kind of have a little bit of leeway in, in kind of helping them come up with performances. Um, there's a moment where some of them turn into zombies and attack yeah. other people. Uh, it was fun kind of creating all that. Um, you know, it's kind of like, it, it felt like a lot of, um, very similar to like an animation in a lot of ways. I kind of had this blank slate to create on. Um, so I could do a lot of revisions and throw a lot of ideas and see what sticks. And Lance gave a lot of feedback in terms of just what he wanted, what was working, what wasn't. And uh, together we kind of crafted it into what it is now. Wow, it's incredible. There's there's moments here where um, like when there's a shot, this rising shot, the skeleton basically. But it's also, it's, it's intercut, it's going cutting back and forth between that visual and the show. And um, it just, it's really well done. It, it, it all felt like it was, I mean, it is intentional, but it felt like it was on the day of the show. Like that was, you know, intended how it came together, which I think is the combination um, of your editor. Who, who was the editor on this project? It was me. I did all the editorial. <laughs> no, no. I'm oh, sorry. Picture editor. Oh, picture, picture editor. Uh, picture editor. Um, I'll have to get that information to uh, you. I don't care J- it. J- uh, J- isn't it J- uh, Mate Mayhew? Oh, Jer- uh, Jeremiah Mayhew. Right. There you go. Jeremiah yeah, 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 yeah. Mayhew. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And, and so, he did a great job. yeah, so with Jeremiah, I mean, did he? When did he lock picture for you guys? Uh, that <laughs> happened in September, late September, early October, I'd say. Okay. So we had a good amount of time to work on editorial before we started mixing. But there were conform, there were conforms, right, Jerry? Like there were picture changes as we as we went, like like especially yeah. some of 
more so to do with VFX retiming, but like there were length changes to the picture. Right. I mean, it, it never really locks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Lash. Our, right. Our, my first lock cut was yeah, lash. We got a lot of VFX updates with some small time changes all the way up until yeah. February. But the sound of the drums, the sound of the guitars, the sound of the vocals. Besides maybe some special effects, is it a similar type of compression EQ that Mark would do in the live show? Or do you guys start from scratch in terms of what is on the stage? How, how do you guys start to dial in some of those specific tones? Um, so I did uh, a lot of pre-mixing kind of at home. I mean, I unfortunately, I don't have uh, you know a proper 5.1 environment at home. So a lot of that was uh, <laughs> was basically being done in like a folded down kind of session vibe but i, I kind of got like you know some tone colors together basically for for all the you know the musical uh, sources uh you know and and kind of prepared a bunch of different uh like you know oxes and stuff to kind of go onto the stage with uh you know with at least something uh you know something on hand um but honestly like i kind of really just thought of uh, uh and approached all the stuff as i would um you know, kind of like a more like a live album mix, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like that was very much the intent there. Uh, for some songs, um, I was you know instructed by uh, you know specifically Dom, uh, the drummer, um, to kind of reference album material uh, to really kind of like you know key in on like on the balance of the way things you know should kind of sound. You know what I mean? In terms of like a, from a level perspective. But as far as like tone and like color and stuff like that, um, I I just. You know, brought my iLock, brought my UAD thing, and just yeah. kind of you know, treated it like an album. You know what I mean? That was kind of that was the vibe. When someone is mixing a film, you do your effects pass, you do your music pass, you do your dialogue pass. In this case, because music is kind of precedent, it's not dialogue in this case. How much starts stopping? Like, how can you guys describe once you're on the stage? Are you guys kind of scooting through it bit by bit, or are you hearing it from top to bottom within context of a song? How, how is this treated differently than a, maybe a traditional film? You know, when we started, obviously, as Alex said, I had a bit of a head start on him. So I was, you know, I was running with the stems that we received from MC, which obviously was the jumping off point. Um, and Alex came in a little bit later and, and was pre-mixing at home and then brought it onto stage. So I already had, like, I think it was 45 minutes of the 90 minute film dialed in in terms of like against the stems, what the film should sound like. And then when Alex brought his stuff in, it was like, just like the, the kick drum was like rattling my chest. And we, we kind of had to like re-strategize and be like, okay, let's balance the film. Let's balance the film against the, uh, against the concert and pull the concert down in some respect, but, but also bring the film up to kind of match. And, um, but yet yeah, you're right. Traditionally, like, you know, the division of labor is, dialogue and music on one side, sound effects, backgrounds, full and on the other, and you're kind of running in tandem. And, you know, to Alex's credit, obviously he's fr from a music world and we do things completely different in post and, and vice versa. You know, obviously there was this, a learning curve, but um, but I think like we found a good, and Alex jumped here, but, but like I, I think we found a really good harmony where it was like, I, you know, if we got into a narrative sequence, I'd say, okay, give me like, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes, I'd dial it in, I'd get kind of a rough thing he'd go back, we'd roll over the last section of concert going into it. And then, you know, we got out of the narrative sequence and I did a kind of final pass, He, you know, and, and mix the score into the next bit of music, he'd take over and he, you know, so we kind of tag team like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it, it took, it took a, a while to find our rhythm, but I think it, you know, it came together kind of 
nicely. It took a day or two. Yeah, this is definitely the first time I've worked on a project of this uh, scale, like with, you know, with the consummate post-production professional such as these two fine gentlemen <laughs> here. And uh, honestly, they're, uh, they were both, uh, I think James is being pretty charitable when he says there's a learning curve. This is definitely a new experience <laughs> for me. Um, uh, I, you know, I have done, you know, some stuff in 5.1. I, I used to work in, you know, with some film composers and stuff. So I'd, I'd mixed, um, you know, film score in 5.1 before. Um, but, uh, honestly, like, you know, without, uh, uh, I, I would, I would have been completely lost without their guidance for sure. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, once we did hit that rhythm, I think we, um, we really kind of, uh, it took, like James said, it took a couple of days. Like I, I pretty much, uh, was kind of, uh, afforded the opportunity to, to spend nearly two full days on the stage, just kind of getting the concert. Uh, where I felt it needed to be. And, um, you know, once we were there, uh, you know, as, as James said, then then we kind of were off to the races in terms of, you know, kind of really like balancing things and dialing them in, you know, as, as we kind of went along uh, from, from bit to bit. Yeah. And then, Jerry, for you, I also see that there was a credit for two Foley artists, Nicholas uh, Thiel and Ellen Heuer. Um, mm -hmm. Who else did you have help support you besides a Foley pass? And everything that you were responsible for, I mean, was that it for your side of things? Uh, yeah, Foley was uh, the only uh, thing I could delegate, really. Yeah. <laughs> because Lance was so involved with uh, just crafting the effects and, and wanting to see a lot of um, revisions. But yeah, I, I did outsource the Aura Sound and Color, which they did an amazing job with the Foley. And uh, they're really great for Loop Group, too. So we did all that there. And all of the ADR supervision was done there. But Besides that, um, I, I mainly did everything myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it, when it came to the ADR, I mean, casting that, how do you even go about? Because it's like they're all like the voices are all modulated and like it's uh, the sound of them is very different. So how'd you guys go about that? Um, it was very interesting because um, at the very beginning of the process, the director didn't have um, too much kind of experience with ADR, so yeah. he was mainly casting with the idea of like, oh yeah doesn't really matter. We just need someone to read it and then we'll just affect it later on. Right. Yeah. Um, of course, and I kind yeah. of have to fight for the fact that performance really matters and it's really important to get actors who can give a lot of emotion because it will help us sell the scene. Um, because the important thing for Lance is to make sure we're getting the effect right. And that took a lot of uh, effort. Like the NPC character, the one that's sitting there that kind of like beams in mm -hmm. uh, Star Trek style. Um, we had to do a lot of revisions, a lot of takes. We almost recast the role of that ADR performance because Lance won such a specific sound. Okay. Um, and so I ended up basically taking that actress and speeding up her voice um, and speeding through the whole process. I, I layered five different type of vocal effects uh, together to come up with that uh, vocal. Yeah, that's awesome. I Sorry to jump in. I remember when we rolled across that, I was like, Jerry, what's this? group of five like on the dialogue track stacked up and then we like before we could before he could answer we played over it and it was just this like crazy sounding vocal <laughs> where she beams in and she's saying all these like like hellos in different languages and stuff and he's like stuttering and like i was like my mind was like blown i was like wow that sounds fantastic <laughs> there's also a wonderful cameo of, of uh, a nice lamborghini that kind of comes in. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, what was the treatment for that? Where, where, did you guys just have that from library, or where did you pull that stuff from? Yeah, um, so that was a Lamborghini Countach that they think was part of their Dark Side music video. Uh huh. Um, yeah. They had just a very generic uh, like car buy for from the music video that, to reference, so I right. decided to kind of beef it up a little bit. But I ended up um, taking a Ferrari recording. It wasn't a Countach, but I used um, a Ferrari recording and got. Um, 
from a sound effect and i just treated it a lot uh, i really like this uh plugin called envy by cargo cult mm-hmm. um and i kind of used uh the the foot of the lamborghini engine sound and um mirrored it onto like some synth sounds to give it more of a sci-fi feel uh and then just modulated it with a little bit of um a little bit of like uh, sound toys, um, tremolator and uh, phase mistress, stuff like that to give it a little bit more of a sci-fi palette, you know? And then, uh, and then we flew that in from the back of the room, like in the concert, you see, you see it drive, you know, past the, the camera, but then it like flies in from the back of the room and crashes into the screen on stage. So. Yeah. It's a cool sequence. I forget what, what song does that go into? What is that transition? Dark. Dark side. Oh, it is dark, dark side? side. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like just when you think it cannot get more epic, Muse like <laughs> <laughs> they find a way. Yeah. They find a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's that. There's the non this non player character vocals. And then obviously like the film, like it caps off with this monster is it Murph? Is that right? Monster Murph? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Murph stands for malicious universal reality formatter. Of course, I, I should have known that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, the visual of it, uh, the visual of it's pretty insane. It's like somewhere between aliens and like cyborg and like has claws and it's a really like very menacing creature. The mainframe has already set in motion the creation of a malicious universal reality formatter. The Truth Slayer, a nihilistic machine designed to correct your simulation's defect. It will erase, reset, and format your world. At the end of the film, there's like a whole nother sequence, uh, like in a 3D sequence, whatever, that um, you see it, and then obviously it shows up on stage. So like, how did you guys come up with that sound, and how did you treat it? Because it's... It's a pretty insane visual. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our, our uh, VF, the VFX director, Tom Teller, um, he had designed uh, this character model uh, a long time ago in, in one of the early music videos. And uh, it ended up becoming kind of like the, the mascot of the tour. Yeah. Uh, so it, we knew from the beginning it was going to be a kind of a big set piece. Um, and just once again, like I, I ended up making this so huge that the first time we played it for the band, like they kind of like shot back in their seats. <laughs> because how big the whole That's good. Was. That's and, good. That's what you want. It was just good. But yeah. also they were like, well, this is really cool, but we can't hear the song anymore. I'm like, okay, mm. we'll turn that down a little bit. But, um, you know, the note I got from Lance is basically David and Goliath and, and this, uh, you know, creature was comprised of uh, so many elements. Um, because you know he's literally climbing up on this mountain we wanted to find feel very monstrous right yeah um i actually recorded my roommate who had done some vo work doing some uh really guttural screams and and growls (laughs) and uh, i just ran that through dehumanizer a few times and um came up with the vocal sound and then crafted like just all the movement sounds after the fact and did, did a little bit of recording to kind of sell that a little more and then like the whole battle at the end like you kind of like because the music, the song is so epic at the same time. It's there, a few of their most like metal songs uh, combined into a medley at the end. Um, so it's kind of like super ADHD because like you want you're rocking out to the song, but then you're looking at this crazy like metal, like battle happening on screen. Um, but yeah, like I, I just I had a lot of library stuff and uh, I had a synth that I kind of used to create like the beam of when Matt raises his arm and like you know shoots the, the monster back and destroys it. Um, but yeah, that was basically crafting crafting that scene.
so when did the band show up? Because I imagine Lance was there every day with you guys. But when, when do they bring the band in? When when do you guys have your first interaction to, for them to see it, for, to react? Yeah, so they came to the dub stage. That was their first interaction with them. Um, is during the final mix of the process. Uh, because they had a lot of trust in Lance to make sure that the narrative scene was taken care of. Um, their main concern, again, was was just the music. And I think that, you know, it was so nice and to, to have them there and kind of reassure that we were going in the right direction creatively with the film. Um, their main notes were uh, mostly music related. Okay. Um, yeah. And they came in, I think, on the third day just to give their feedback and came a few times after that, too. I was going to say that there was also, you know, just to piggyback on what Jerry was saying, like to get back to that whole metal medley sequence, there was a, you know, as we got to the last couple of days with them, there was like, there was a process in that whole metal medley where they were like, take this, you know, the song needs to shine here. You know, we were kind of like thinning out elements where, you know, dumping it where it was like either adding too much noise, not to call it noise, but like, you know, too much kind of uh, sonic confusion. So we were like, you know, if we didn't need, absolutely need a sound effect to play, we dump it or, you know, we pull it back and there was a little bit more fine tuning as we went along. But, but yeah. Yeah. And additionally, yeah. there's some moments where we took down, uh, you know, uh, fewer moments, I would say, but there were some moments where we <laughs> took down some uh, some musical elements to make some space for, uh, uh, you know, for narrative, uh, dialogue, you know, maybe some uh, some sound effects and stuff like take the beginning of Take a Bow, for instance, comes to mind, uh, you know, when the um, uh, the uh, the NPC, right, is, uh, you know, is, is kind of like a, having that interaction with the uh, um uh, those two, those two guys like right before uh, they right before Murph is kind of comes online mm-hmm. right so to speak and uh, right before I right rather right before Matt enters the the mainframe is that what it is I think that's what it is yeah and uh, we kind of uh, you know kind of carved out a little space in there because it's again it's like a super hectic crazy buildup of uh, you know, musically right there's like there's a couple of backing tracks there's synth stuff there's you know uh, you know drum uh, like a tom a tom roll that's happening uh, in the in the beginning of it a bass ostinato and matt is literally doing like a tapping guitar solo like over the top <laughs> there's so much going on that we just had to like carve a little bit away and, and that's kind of part of the interplay right between the uh, you know maybe it's, it's like what james talked about earlier is like kind of making that marriage between you know concert and, and narrative bits so on the release um obviously this this played i think they had in theaters right or in imax too what, what was the initial release yeah, it was it was a one day Jerry. It was a one day theatrical IMAX release where they did it in the UK, certain parts of the US. Um, it was worldwide actually. I, th- I can't remember the amount of theaters. Yeah, but it was a, it, uh, they had some in Canada as well. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a worldwide premiere, and then they released on digital the following week. You know, for you guys, so your five one was your main deliverable. You also did a stereo, I imagine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, I actually did the stereo at a you know combination of working at my uh, home studio and at uh you know our, our uh, muse studio here in uh here in la and that i think is uh, present in um all the the digital formats right and it will be in the physical as well i think so i think yes. that's uh, yeah virus mainframe true slayer how can we stop it It's so well edited, and the, your guys' transitions of the handoffs between live show and narrative, you know, watching it from top to bottom, it moves really quickly. Like, it's like wow, that changeover was really quick between one song to another. It's, yeah, yeah. There's, a really, <laughs> there's a really nice uh, flow to it. 
what takeaway do you guys have just looking back on this project? Because like, it, it's not very often that any size band takes on this type of task. It, there's only a handful of bands of notoriety that will even take on this. Um, so like, what's uniquely different about doing a music film? Uh, I mean, I'll jump in. Like I learned a ton of just like, you know, I've, I've worked on a few um, music centric projects or music related projects. Um, but I learned a ton, not just working with Alex, but like having to find that rhythm that we talked about. And I think one big takeaway for me was kind of finding or trying, you know, in, in, in another project that I work on, trying to find that, that rhythm quicker. I think like Max, the amount of time you have on stage because there were a few late nights that i mean more than a few late nights that we put in on this <laughs> where i think like you know had we found that rhythm a bit sooner and, and it's unique to every mixing situation especially every mixing team but like you know f finding that sooner maximizing stage time and then like you know not getting caught up in in like small details understanding that like getting through a first pass as quickly not as quickly but as efficiently as possible let's say is oftentimes better because you you know you kind of take a you take, you take an ax to it, then you take a, a chisel, then you take a sander, you know, and it's like, you know, finding, finding the detailed balance is, is often accomplished by getting through the whole thing multiple times as opposed to like, you know, stewing over like certain sections, you know, mm -hmm. in super detail. So what about you, uh, Jerry? Um, I, I wish, uh, I had hired a, a music supervisor uh -huh. as part of this process because, uh, the band was, um, pretty, pretty confident going into it that the, the music would just play as is of and course yeah sure <laughs> i wasn't anticipating quite the and, and i took their word for it because um, I, i'm relatively young in terms of uh, my experience in, in supervising but um you know we get to the dub stage and and lo and behold it sounds completely different than what the music uh, mark Harland had done his preliminary mix to um and that had led to uh, some scheduling issues that we later then had to pay for with the late nights, yeah, if that sure. makes sense. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, just uh, working on a music film, like music, again, is is the most important thing. And I want to stress that. Um, Alex did a fantastic job of making sure that that sounded as good as it did. Um, yeah, but yeah. also knowing that like, I like a lot of my job as a supervisor and as a sound designer was, was working on the narrative film, not taking into account how important actually it would be. I, I needed to spend an equal amount of time on the music and I, I wish I'd spend a little more time just making sure that was taken care of before we got to the dub stage mm -hmm. uh, because I ended up backing us up a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, Alex, what about you? Uh, well, takeaways. Um, honestly, I, I think there's been a, a kind of, a, I feel like a, a discussion happening with a lot of different clients that I've you know been working with over the years. I've done a lot of work with Coldplay. I've done a lot of work with uh, you know a bunch of other big bands like this. And, the idea of like how do we bring music to like a you know an environment like an immersive environment such as like five one you know what I mean I think mm -hmm. that's something that you know it's just personal takeaway right like I, I feel like this if I'm you know if nothing else I am super proud of what all of us like together kind of accomplished and you know on this thing because um, I, I feel like this you know I I had the the uh, pleasure of going to one of the IMAX theaters you know, literally just by myself mm -hmm. um, here in LA uh, to watch the film to kind of like, you know, QC it for, you know, uh, 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 any kind of, you know, potential future uh, runs and, and, you know, once markets start opening back up, um, you know, hopefully that can happen. I've, I have no idea, but getting to see it in a the theater, like you were saying earlier, like it really does 
bring another kind of dimension to that you know, to the musical listening experience like it really felt like you know when sitting in the theater and getting to see it because otherwise i wouldn't have been able to right because of covid yeah it was uh you know i i I, I just I, I just loved it and my my only takeaway would be to try and convince all of my future clients to work in five one man like there that it really brings something special to the audience like in a way that you know like listening to an album you know in your in your place on like a hi fi system or a nice pair of headphones whatever it's like that's you know that's a really intimate and great experience but from a musical perspective like the you know especially with a band like Muse that's so focused on kind of uh, you know, really detailed like layering and synth parts. And yeah, there's only three guys, but it sounds like there's like 50 guys playing their, yeah. their records and somehow they managed to pull it off live. Um, you know, that's like that, you know, in, uh, a additional dimension of like kind of, of depth and you know, feeling like you're in something, I think is, uh, is something that really kind of served the, you know, this particular project. Well, I'm really, you know, super grateful for, for James and, and Jerry to kind of, you know, uh, uh, hold my hand through those <laughs> through that first day for sure but uh uh yeah I, I you know i don't know man i i i, I loved every minute of it and i hope uh, we do more of these things so well thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to chat about this congratulations you guys and i'm excited to see what's next from uh from this team thank you michael appreciate awesome. it thank you michael appreciate it all right